All right, all right, all right. Here we go. Dylan, you ready to kick off another episode of the Rich Ed Poor Ed podcast? Yeah, man. You know, I'm honestly a little cold, but I feel like it may be some snow. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yes, we have an amazing guest, amazing entrepreneur on today. I'm so pumped to introduce. You guys have probably all heard the brand. You've seen it everywhere online. It's the number one oral care online brand trysnow.com. These guys are killing it. If I if I could overuse that term, tens of millions in revenue, nine-figure valuation, 2.6 million visitors in traffic in April alone, and a phenomenal entrepreneur. So I'm so excited to welcome to the show, Josh Snow. How you doing? Hey, what's going on, guys? Yeah, man, we're so excited to have you. You are like the epitome of a uh, of a rich advertiser that has taken paid ads to the next level, man. So we're excited to dive into not only the, the winning ads, which you obviously get to talk about all the time, but like what sent you to the poorhouse? I want to hear about the losers today. So that's awesome. So tell everybody a little bit about, you know, for those that uh, that may not have heard about Snow, give us a little overview of, of, of the brand and, and, and your entrepreneurial story as well. Yeah, absolutely. So we're on Instagram at Snow. Snow is essentially an oral care company. Um, but we we like to think that we've reimagined the oral care space and really met at the intersection of oral care and beauty. So we consider ourselves as much a personal care brand as we do as a beauty care brand. And so you can see from products we create, we create every single product ourselves. And it's something that we hold very close to us when we're thinking through which products we're going to you know provide to our customers. There's a reason why we still only have you know, a handful of products years into it. It's because we are focused on developing hero products that we can sell for the next 50 years and feel comfortable about. And we also make iterations upon our products. But at the end of the day, we're an oral care, beauty care brand. We're primarily direct to consumer. Uh, we've got about a million social media followers. We're really close with our customers. And they they now pretty much dictate what we do in terms of which products they want to see us come out with next. And, you know, we've been kind of coined as, like the apple of oral care in the sense that not just from our packaging and the quality product we produce, but the anticipation and the excitement from our customers of what is snow going to reimagine next? What are they going to do next? So that's exciting. There's also a lot of pressure on us in a good way, making sure that the products we do come out with are something that not only that we would use day, daily basis, but something that we could recommend at the highest level. And then, you know, my background has been for the, for more than half of my year, uh, life now, uh, in terms of years, in the online marketing space. So I stumbled into entrepreneurship when I was 13 years old, literally. And I've got, you know, I've got websites that, you know, sitting on my old computer that date back to when I was 14 years old. And so I'm 27 now. So started 14 years ago into building websites, designing websites. I was self-taught 100% through books and, and, and YouTube and Google and kind of learned all that myself. And was fortunate to discover searches and optimization, which led me down a path of really online advertising and then into paid advertising once I had a little bit of money to do it. And so by the time I was 16 or 17 years old, you know, I was managing a lot of money for, for clients, just kind of paid ad management. Nobody knew how old I was. I had a whole team. You know. what, was, what kind of ad budget did you get to manage on a yearly basis when you had your agency? When I was just uh, 16, 16, 17 years old, I was in charge of millions of dollars of, of management at that point. 
Yeah, no, that's awesome. So one of the things we're all about at Funnel Lash is, is helping advertisers, you know, scale with more cash and more liquidity. And one of the things that I'm particularly impressed on you know, from the outside looking in is how much Snow has been able to not only handle the day-to-day, you know, just insane level of growth, but we all know that growth is expensive and it requires a ton of cash, right? So margins are typically super small in, in, in D2C and, and e-com. And I'm, I want to talk to you about like how you've done, in, you know, managed inventory, how you've managed cash flow, and at the same time, invest so much into R&D. I mean, like one of those is, is typically the one to give, right? And like, you just don't get, like most e-commerce brands don't have that much cash to invest into R&D. So you've clearly like done a great job because you're self-funded, right? Like that's the beauty of, of, of this, this whole story is that you've gotten this level of scale which means you have to be incredibly disciplined with your cash management and the investments that you make. So how have you done it, man? Open up the kimono, Josh, and, and, and shed some light on some of the, the tactics, tools, strategies on, on how you've financed the growth so, so quickly. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, and that's, I feel like that's something that you know, typically when I'm, on, when I'm on, doing an interview or I'm on a podcast or I'm on the news or anything, there's always an excitement around the celebrities that we get to work with, which... Duly so. It's 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 incredible the caliber of celebrities that have not only purchased and used our brand, but also you know endorse and talk about our brands. But when you're talking to we're talking in front of a group of other entrepreneurs or other you know people in a position where they're thinking about cash flow management, particularly in a bootstrap or self funded scenario, because I feel like the media sensationalizes you know so and so raised a hundred million dollars, so and so raised fifty million bucks, and it's kind of like. What about that company that didn't raise any money and, and they're still making leaps and bounds of movement? And we're now in April and May, just the last two months, you know, we became on multiple metrics, the number one oral care brand in the world. And particularly online, we're an online company for the most part right now in terms of web traffic, in terms of social media uh, metrics, all of that. So, and we've done so in a short amount of time with zero, you know, we're carrying zero debt at the moment. We haven't raised any outside capital. And that takes an extraordinary amount of discipline, but it's also not my first rodeo. So I, you know, I want to preface by saying you this can it can be your first rodeo to be able to do something like this, but you know, um, it's not an overnight success story. And I think the first thing is that you know I pay myself sixty thousand dollars a year. That's what I paid myself, you know, for 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 a long time, right? And that's the only money that I was taking out of the business, and so that meant I had about forty thousand a year to live on. But, you know, I luckily I've been doing this for so long and I've been fortunate to build and sell a few companies that, you know, I essentially decided to live off of my savings and not have to put the pressure of, you know, snow paying for my Ferrari. It's like, you know, for me, it's like snow is not a vehicle for me to get a nicer house or for me to get a nicer car, for me to spend lots of money on dinners and and first class flights. For me, snow is about proving something to the marketplace and doing something for other entrepreneurs, show them what you can do if you kind of look at things in a, in a different, different at a different angle. And so, to answer it tactically, you know, the job of an entrepreneur is to make the next best affordable step. So, what's next? Is it the best next step? And then, lastly, is it affordable? And is it affordable right now? And so, I'm constantly prioritizing and 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 using my form of judgment to to understand. And and it's not a perfect science. I'm. I'm wrong. Sometimes it feels like I'm wrong way more times than I am right. But the ones that I'm right on, you know, count for something. And so for me, thinking through whether it's 
leveraging our credit lines. So, you know, American Express, you know, we've got significant credit lines we've built up over time with American Express just by spending so much and paying that off over a long period of time and also calling them up and understanding what it might take for us to get more credit extended to us. So whenever we have an opportunity to expand our credit lines, we take advantage of that. Even if that means that we're breaking even on some of that spend, it allows us to have the buying power. And I think that I learned something when from uh, one of my buddies I was hiking with. He founded a company called Bar S, and they're, I think, the second largest uh, manufacturer of bologna, processed bologna, and, and hot dog meat in grocery stores, and Oscar Mayer is number one. But anyway, he sold the business for $1.3 billion cash to a Mexican conglomerate, food conglomerate. But, it went, but while he was going through that process, went for a hike, and he said, you know, Josh, we sell to Walmart at a break-even. And I go, why would you sell to Walmart for a break-even? That doesn't make sense. He goes, our hot dogs, our bologna has been a dollar. It's cost a dollar since like 1996. Like our price has never gone up. And he goes, in many ways, we're considered a necessity for the public. You know, when times are rough, like during the recession, our sales skyrocket because people aren't buying the expensive brand and whether buying our brand. But he goes, we work with Walmart because Walmart buys so many cases of our bologna and our hot dog meat that they allow us to gain economies of scale that are un, unimaginable when applied to our other retail accounts. So they might be selling to another account, another grocer, and making so much more on a margin point basis because Walmart is allowing them to buy 1 billion pounds of, of bologna meat. They're doing that at a break even, but it allows them to make money in other places. So what I try to do is I try to I try to zoom out and think through, and at a very basic level, this is not something I'd recommend, but if you broke even on all your advertising spend and your sales, and you maybe you made 5% profit, but you had a 2% cashback card, or you had points, et cetera, you know, but it gave you buying power for you to be able to leverage that later on. That's, a, that's kind of the extreme version of my thinking, profit first. So it's very important when you're self-funding a bootstrapping company. Make sure that you're making money, you know, on that first sale. Make sure you're understanding exactly how much did you spend. When we got started, it was me still at that point. I was crafting the Facebook ads. I was managing the media. And it was one platform, Facebook ads. And it was one platform, Shopify. And I could see very clearly, what did I spend today? What did I make today? What were the cost of goods? What was the refund rate? And I could see day by day, week by week. Because it was so simple at that time of Facebook ads, Shopify, I knew exactly how much money I was making. Now it's become extremely complex, being omni-channel, retail, being on everything from TikTok to Snapchat. So it becomes a little bit more difficult, a little bit more complex to gain the granularity and the specificity around how much we're making on a day-to-day basis. We have those numbers as close as we can. But I'm also thinking about the business in it, perhaps a different way than some others might think about it. For me, I understand that it's incredibly, you know, oral care is pretty much the hardest. I would never recommend anyone to go into oral care. It's incredibly difficult. There's a reason why there are only a few of us. I needed that challenge where I was at in my life. I needed something to keep me busy. I needed to spend 50 years on something. But for me, I'm thinking about market share, mind share. So first I think of mind share, then I think of market share, and then I think of mouth share. And so for me, when I think about market shares, how can we carve our place in this deep-seated marketplace? By having uniquely differentiated products, products that work, products that are at a higher quality, higher aesthetic, that carry our brand forward, then Mindshare is um, at the top of the funnel is how can I control the conversation around oral care online? How can I control that kind of theory, that thesis that I'm trying to push forward 
how can I do that? Paid advertising is one of the fastest ways to do that because we're seen by 32 million people a week through our ads, over 2 million a month to shop with us. That's a captive audience. It's like having your own TV show that you can craft a narrative in order to own that conversation in the consumer's mind. And so mind share is very important because mind share leads to market share. Mouth share is something that I've ta- been talking about internally at Snow, which is how do, we, how do we own more of the mouth? Meaning instead of just a teeth whitening kit, now we have our toothpaste, which is sold out right now. We have our floss, which is almost always sold out. We're thinking through what are the other products to gain more mouth share? So once we have mind share, we can gain market share. Once we have market share, we can build out our mouth share once we earn those customers. So that's how I'm thinking about it on a long-term basis of how do I build brand equity? So utilizing things like loans, working capital, credit cards, et cetera, as long as I know that I'm making a few percentage points, I'm paying all my bills and we're good, I can operate because I understand my data intimately. I can operate for a long period of time, metaphorically eating ramen noodle soup in that aspect, because I understand that if we do this even a fraction of the way right, those people will come back and we realize the incremental cost for acquiring customers goes down. I love it. I love it. So, I mean, the first thing I want to just zoom all the way back is, is just more sound fundamental principle of like, you're not raping and pillaging your own business for cash to fund your own lifestyle that like needs to really be celebrated, especially, you know, in our entrepreneurial, you know, community where the second, you know, they're hitting, you know, eight figures, like they're just pulling profits out and it's really preventing their scale to, to nine figures and up. Right. So that's awesome. We talked, you use this term, you know, buying power in terms of, in, in your relationship with your, with Amex. And I think that's really interesting that I want to highlight as well is like, you're looking at advertising and, and, and let me know if I got this right. Like you're looking at advertising in the sense that like, this is just a, an entire engine. Most people use the customer acquisition of like, yeah, if I can break even, I'll make it up on the LTV. But you're the first person that I've ever heard say, if I can build an engine and put it all in and I'm just breaking in on the ads, but ultimately I'm building out like a massive buying power and massive, you know, credit lines with Amex so that you can leverage, you know, you know, whatever ways and opportunities pop up. But that's like incredibly a different uh, mindset shift to really push somebody to the level of, of, uh, scale that you're at. Is, is that a fair recap of, of what you were saying there? Yeah, I think that when I, when I found out why I discovered, you know, capital is the highest form of leverage and, and capital can come from intellectual capital and come from relational capital, relationship capital. And so if I've got $5 million of a, of a line of credit, I've got another $5 million of working capital. I've essentially got $10 million at, at my fingertips at any point that I can utilize to pivot the business, to be able to do whatever it is I need to do. And I think that that, instead of looking at it at a day-to-day basis, I'm thinking about, I'm willing to lose a few battles to win the war. So, and, and has, what are your thoughts on, I mean, obviously Amex is very short-term, right? Uh, debt. In terms of capitalizing a business, there's all kinds of rabbit holes you can go down and you can get yourself into a dangerous spot, you know, pretty quickly, right? So you've got your short term, obviously you, you haven't raised any equity. So what are your thoughts on, you know, some of the revenue-based financing options out there? How have you funded, you know, some pretty substantial inventory purchases? Like, do you just negotiate with vendors? Talk to us about, um, how you know, the different tools that you've used, or has it all just been Amex cards? <laughs> like, is it that simple? Well, I mean, I remember before Snow, when I was starting other businesses, 
I can't do it anymore because I have all of them, but I, I typed in 0% APR credit cards for business and personal. And I, I literally got every single one that I could and uh, utilize that. And that got me like, I remember back in the day, it got me like $150,000 of buying power that I didn't have to pay back for up to 18 months. So that was, that was powerful you know, back then. For Snow, what I thought about was in a very simplistic way, I utilized, you know, the holding company of Snow is not called Snow. And the reason why is because I had existing credit lines built with another company I had that I utilized to give me a head start of building that foundation of credit worthiness and all that. So that was, that's one tactic I utilized. But Snow, when I look at working capital, when I look at revenue-based kind of payback, which essentially is the modified version of working capital, you know, in, in many ways, my take on it is clear. For example, ClearBank has figured out how to how to sell working capital loans, which is I call it loan dolphins. There's loan sharks and there's loan dolphins. Loan dolphins are friendly; you want to pet them, but they're much more they're they're they're, they're much more quick. Uh, they're they're very fast, and they'll hang around you a lot more often. And so, and then you got the you got the loan whales, like the big banks and the lines of credit. Those guys you don't want to mess with because one flick of the of their fin, they'll destroy you. And they kind of control the currents in the water. And the dolphins are friendly in the sense that ClearBank is like, don't give up equity, get money here. In reality, it's a it's a very secure, like if I could own ClearBank right now, that's one business I would I would love to own because I bet you they're making hand over fist with money uh, and profit. And so um, I think that shopping, Shopify's working capital that they came out with, there's a reason why these guys PayPal working capital. There's a reason why they're doing this. And it's because it's making them a lot of money. And so I just try to understand what percentage of profit are we making on a monthly basis? How comfortable do we feel back, feel paying off these things? And a lot of times what we'll do is we'll forecast when it's going to be a slow time for us. So let's say July, August, and September are going to be slow for us. In fact, let me flip this the other way. We know that Black Friday and Christmas are going to be big for us. So what we'll do is we won't utilize working capital during those times. And then when January 1st hits, we'll utilize the last three months of bank statements and all the traction we have to get a huge working capital. Yes. Yes, I love it. Let me just talk about some basic, basic cash flow planning principles here. Is like I see all too many e-commerce companies having awful Q3s, <laughs> and they're trying to ramp up come November, and they're you know hitting us up for for capital like in, in late August. I'm like, dude, you had phenomenal numbers in November, December, January. Like, why couldn't you hit us up then? And it really limits their upside potential, you know, in, in, in Q4. So brilliant strategy. And I couldn't have said it better myself. It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's useful, right? It, it's useful in the sense that I want to go back to this buying power principle because, you know, we have case studies with Facebook themselves and we're able to, because we have access to capital, if we're able to do a big deal or we're able to negotiate with, for example, you make your money on the buy. Then you make your money on the sell. So when we're looking at vendors who were our manufacturers who produce our products for us, we can forecast what we're going to sell for the year. We're going to at least have an idea. And then we double that and say, if we were to kind of essentially pre-purchase or pre-allocate this amount of inventory, what type of unit economics in terms of discounts? So instead of paying $50 per, per product, and we get it for forty dollars product. If, if not, how much would we need to buy in order to get it for forty dollars per product? And I try to understand those unit economics um, intensely because when you're selling, you know, hundred thousand units a month, and you're saving ten bucks, there's a million dollars straight to the bottom line. There's also things about supply chain um, management in the sense of if, if you're sourcing anything from from overseas, um, like electronics, for example, 
um, you know, you're putting either choosing to put something on a plane or choosing to put something on a boat. And the better off you have that forecasted, the more you can save. I mean, you know, we could save a million dollars a year without even blinking straight to our bottom line by utilizing more efficient supply chain planning. And this is done by, this is, this is not like rocket science. This is literally a post-it note with paper. It's like, how much did I sell last 30 days? Multiply by 12, double that, go to my manufacturer and say, hey, if I promise to purchase at least the 1X of that, so you take your 30-day sales, multiply by 12. Say if, I, if I say I'm going to stick with you exclusively for 12 months and at least purchase this, what can you do for me? And then you go, then he says, oh, okay, I'll give you this, I'll give you this. Then you go back and say, okay, if I doubled that, just saying, if I was able to, we don't know, but if I was able to do that, what could you do for me then? And then saying, do I have to pay 100% of the of the inventory up front or can I get terms with you? Can I pay 30%? You, you make the product, pay another 30%, it's in my hands, and then I've got net 60 to be able to pay you back. So now you start to float. What happens is you start to stack your terms. You've got vendor terms that you're paying out for your product. You've got a credit line with Facebook ads, so you've got 60 days to pay them. And then... You're paying them with a platform like Melio, Melio Payments, which allows you to send an ACH using your credit card. So now you've got Amex floating you another 60 days, but you're really sending them a wire transfer they're getting as an ACH. So I can essentially artificially, or not artificially, I can create my own payment terms. I can create up to 180 days of cash flow management where I don't have to pay that back for 180 days, which allows me to do so much in the meantime. Now you have to be careful because if you go a little too crazy, you end up not making money got to pay that money back some way shape or form but there's ways for you to talk to the manufacturers you work with even if you're only ordering a thousand units or even if you're a service-based business there's an opportunity for you to ask for prepay for example or whatever it might be and we negotiate terms on every single front so that we're ma- we protect our cash in our bank account like no other it's, it's it's like a newborn baby you know we don't we, we try not to have too many people touching it because it can get sick and so we try to preserve that as much as absolutely possible. Yeah. I think, you know, just to highlight that again, you're, you're nailing on point. Like if you can stack your float, um, you know, and you're spending a million a month on, on ads, right. And you don't have to pay that bill for 180 days. I think that's pretty extreme and very dialed in for most people. They're paying off their ad bill every 30 days. And it's like, dude, if you could even accomplish like 90 or 120, you're talking about, three to $6 million of operating capital that you didn't have to go get in, uh, in a loan just by, you know, being strategic on stacking your, your, your cash flow strategies. So I love that. Well, dude, this has been awesome. Love all the education you're giving everybody here on the finance stuff, but I want to get into the good stuff. If we can switch gears here and dive into the rich ad poor ad segment, Dylan, you ready to kick this thing off? Oh, oh yes. yes. All right, man. I'm sweating now. <laughs> well, sweet, man. So, yeah, I know you kind of mentioned some, you know, campaigns that didn't go so hard and some campaigns that went pretty well. Would you prefer to start with the campaign that did not go so well or the one that went well? Let's go with the one that went well. Let's go well. with the rich ad. All right, here we go. So the one that went well, it's more of a strategy in the sense that when you visit our website, you're getting you're going to get retargeted, right? So something that, that has worked well for us and continues to work well for us is that I brought on Rob Gronkowski as a as a partner, an American football player, and you know he's got a few million fans online. But you know people buy from who they like and trust, and 
that necessarily that you know doesn't mean that it, that's you at that point as a brand. And so they're, you're fresh. You're kind of a stranger to them. And so what we've been doing is across our influencers, including our own customers, we've been utilizing user-generated content, whether it be a celebrity like Rob Gronkowski or it be a smaller influencer that has 10,000 likes on Facebook. We're getting them to try the products. We're getting them to talk about the products. Um, you, even on their iPhone, they're holding their iPhone, they're using the product, talking about their results, how much they love it, et cetera. And we're running those ads from their pages. So you'll see an ad running from Rob Gronkowski's page talking about, what he loves about snow and you know why he uses the products, et cetera. And so you're not just seeing retargeting from our brand, you're seeing a sequence of retargeting from different pages. We also work with our editorial partners. So if it's someone like BuzzFeed, for example, you know, we're talking to any blog that is writing about us, or willing to write about us and say, Hey, can you give us advertiser access to your page so that we can pay, we'll pay hundred percent of it. We'll give you 2% of the ad spend or something like that. Um, so that we can run ads from your page regarding this content. Your page will grow from it. Your website will get the traffic, et cetera. We'll pixel it. But now I'm running that against lookalike audiences from a blog like iloveteeth.com. And that's someone else's blog. It's not ours. But when someone visits our website, they're now getting retargeted from an article that says why snow is the number one choice we recommend. And it's from a third-party page It's on a third-party website. And then they might also see Rob Gronkowski from his page showing a video of how he uses it when he's working out. And you say, wow, all of a sudden it creates this ripple effect. You've got user-generated content, editorials, celebrity influencers, and then our own brand stuff. It significantly decreases the cost to acquire that customer. And they also retain for a lot longer um, because the trust factor is built in there. They, they're seeing third-party referrals talking about your products. And it's that sequence of ads that does really well for us. And Typically, in, in that aspect, it's talking to the exact points that that influencer is talking about. And I'm talking about you can literally hit up your customers or you can hit up your friend who has 5,000 likes on Facebook and say, hey, would you be willing to get some free product? I'll pay you a few bucks, make a video, and then just add me in two seconds to your ad account, and I'll start running ads from your page. So running ads from other pages, whether it be another person or another blog or another celebrity, has been very effective in amplifying the success of our marketing. So one of the things to just to highlight to that, Josh, is HubSpot did a study. You, you said that coming from influencers and celebrities, they retain longer and they're worth more. And churn, right? And so HubSpot did this whole study on like, why are some customers worth more and stick around longer? And they... And most marketers, I would say, start with like, well, the product sucked or, or the follow-up sequence sucked or the rebuild was too priced. Or like they start with all the, the tactics. And HubSpot did this study and they found out that the biggest driver of retention and LTV was not any of those tactics, but it was how they were sold and the, 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 the funnel of which they were sold. And this is very true in the world of finance, right? Like when we fund somebody's ad spend with ad card or ad capital, it's actually the same. A part of why we strategically sell and partner with digital ad agencies is because they're the ones that manage the ad budget, right? And then they refer the client in and they're a trusted advisor. So the default rate in finance is way lower because it's coming from a trusted advisor and influencer. I think that this is absolute gold for anybody in selling subscription, um, selling financial products, somebody that's really relying on LTV post 30 days, 
the not only the conversion aspect on the front end, but the LTV aspect on the back end of selling with um, user generated content, influencers, and third party endorsements. Would you agree? Yeah, it does help a ton. Like they're not going to necessarily buy right out the gate from you know a Rob Gronkowski ad, but it might capture their attention or just seeing it, even if they don't click on the ad, just seeing that it starts to build in that FOMO of seeing it six to seven times, not just from yourself, of course. If it's coming from your page, you're going to say the best things about it. But if it's coming from other pages and you're being really open and honest with it, they may even say something like, I was super skeptical to order, but I did. And it showed up. Here's how it showed up. That that genuine nature of it works really well. Now, I do have a question. Man, I think you brought this up back at iStack in Vegas. I don't know if that was last January or the January before that. But, you know, you mentioned kind of sending products to your friends, you know, essentially running ads from their page as an advertiser. But when it comes to getting some, you know, guys like Mayweather, I feel like I remember you mentioning, you know, he's got all the money in the world, so he's not looking for extra money, but it was more of like something very relevant to him or his own line. So he could essentially kind of flex on that rather than getting an extra, you know, percent of the sales. Like, How do you kind of go about it in that scenario, if I explained it right, which I, I may not have? <laughs> yeah, we do. We do a myriad of contracts, um, depending on the celebrity, how big they are, what they're open to, what we're open to. But, you know, for example, Rob Gronkowski is a, is an equity partner in the business. He didn't put any money in, but you know, he's a part in the business. He's essentially lent his social capital to the business and became a huge fan of the products before he became a partner. But there's the equity scenario, which is like the people were avert to that. It's like, well, it's a piece of my company. It's, you know, it's, it's the Rock Johnson. It's like, well, he gets, he gets pitched out all day long. It doesn't mean that he's interested in it. You also I want to be very careful where you're just doling out uh, equity of your company. So what we try to look at is how can we structure it so that it's much more akin to a licensing deal and endorsement deal over a long period of time, if it's the right celebrity. And so if it's, it, you know, what maybe there makes sense for a certain, certain of our products, for certain of our audiences, and, you know, whether it's, you know, a younger audience and those that are coming back to buy again, we try to understand like, where in the funnel does this celebrity make a lot of sense for? If it's someone that has mass appeal like a Justin Bieber, we would want to put him at the very front of it to grab that awareness and to get people interested into it and then wrap them around with everybody else. In that scenario, we've done everything from equity to just straight up cash to um, royalties on the sales of those ads and the sales of those products to licensing fees so we can continue to utilize the, the licensing of that content and the imagery. Um, ongoing payments. We've done all kinds of different structures. We've done mixes of those sometimes. So it, it becomes more and more complex, but there are luckily a lot of books out there for people that want to become managers of talent. Um, and so I started to like read up on in the 1940s, if I was a celebrity agent and Coca-Cola wanted to do a deal with them, how would I help my client structure something like that where it's a win-win? And so there's a lot of literature out there and it's simply just the online version of that so instead of a 360 deal where you're you know getting your brand all over their clothes and stuff it's like okay if i were to run facebook ads from this person's page utilizing their face and them holding our product how would we justify paying them and what does that look like in general you can find out if you if you take a look at some of the smaller celebrities or influencers and you say wow making 3x return on ad spend versus 2x return on ad spend and there's some longevity behind it. You know, you could run it for three months. You know, okay, I made 50 grand in profit in three months running off of this kind of E-list celebrity. Imagine if I had an A-list celebrity that was like them, but a much more popular version of them. And so a lot of times we'll work with 
celebrities that used to be A-list or B-list celebrities are now D-list celebrities, just to understand what that type of celebrity might do for our business. So the, the types of deals are kind of all around the table now, whether it's upfront cash or it's a royalty or it's a percentage of ad spend that we use with their face on it. It's like a licensing deal or we're creating branded products with them where they get royalties. There's a lot of different types of deals we do now. That's for that's more for the bigger guys in terms of like the bigger celebs. But anyone is willing to do a deal if the if the deal is right. It's not even about the price. If the deal structure is right, a lot of celebrities are looking for making looking to make money on the back end, not just upfront cash anymore to post on their feed. So a lot of times we're paying them to not even post on Instagram or Facebook. We don't want them to post. We're like, don't even post at all. We just want to be able to license that content to use for our audience. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're talking about stacking the different cash flows. Do you ever negotiate on depending on the contract, right? Can you ever negotiate, you know, net 60, net 90 terms, one or, you know, one sixty terms, or do you not really use that on the influencer side of things? Yeah. I mean, we do, but so for example, let's say a celebrity wants, let's say it's a, just for sake of simplicity, it's a hundred thousand dollars though. And you're like, Oh my gosh, hundred thousand dollars cash. Like, you know, I got it, but I don't want to risk it. You should never risk your business on celebrities. Like you just, you don't make money when they post for you. Like it's not, at least we don't, it's not the good old days where they could pay them 50 grand. They post, you make a hundred grand the next day and you just keep doing it. Now you have to be really thoughtful around how you're utilizing that content and stuff. But if it's like a hundred thousand dollar deal, I might say, Hey, okay, let's do the hundred thousand dollar deal. But let's do 25,000 dollars up front. And then let's do it in tranches with some performance bonuses of this content as well. You can make up to 150,000. So there are ways that as long as, the agent is able to bring the celebrity a deal that is in that six figure range, the totality of that deal, then it's able to slide through. Um, so a lot of times you don't have to put all the cash up front. You can essentially take the profits you're making from running that as an ad and pay for itself over time. Yeah. So, so money, so money. Okay. All right. Let's dive into this poor ad here. Shall we? curious on this one you <laughs> sounded pretty enticing but yeah you want to kind of give us a spiel here i believe it was a try before you buy offer yeah so we decided sometime last year to you know our, we are a premium brand so it's not the cheapest products in the world in terms of a cost for people to try out our products and so so well you know what if we gave them an opportunity to try before they buy which is kind of like a free trial model it's kind of like the warby parker take three glasses home, the ones you return will refund you, the ones you keep will assume you want to keep them and charge you for them. Uh, we kind of went with that model and said, let's, you know, we know our product is phenomenal. We love our product. Our customers love our product, but there's friction. You know, people don't want to necessarily spend a hundred bucks on something they don't know is going to work for them. We said, okay, what, what about this? We'll just charge them shipping. They'll get the product to use for 21 days. And if they end up keeping the product, we're going to assume that they started to see results and they want to stick with it. We know that we have a very low refund and return rate, so we know the product's great, but it backfired because you know, our product is not a mattress where you can try a mattress at home. Once you unbox that mattress and you lay on it a few times, it's pretty much yours, and trying to return that thing is a nightmare. Our, our products are very small, and they are a higher price. So when someone's taking that leap of faith to try the product, they're a lot more likely to say, oh, I never got to tr even trying it. I'm just going to send it back because I don't want to pay for it right now. And so, and because it's small, you can send it back very easily. So that backfired in multiple ways. It also backfired on the lookalike audience side of things. What was a rich audience set that our Facebook was finding for us in terms of rich, I mean, in terms of a very deep layer of data of like, these are people that spend 
over $100 with snow, let's find more of them. It started to go and find people who were looking for free products, people who maybe never would become a snow customer to begin with. And it, so it's the lookalike audience, the pixel started to turn on us within seven days. And it started to find a lot of people who are quote unquote bargain shoppers. And as a premium brand, that's kind of the last kind of cohort of customers you want to spend money acquiring. And not that we discriminate any customer. We have customers all over the spectrum. We sell literally 160 countries in the world. But it's it's something that the lookalike audience said, oh, okay, we're driving a ton of conversions. Because by the way, our customer acquisition cost cut by like 90%. So we were driving credit card signups, you know, for pennies on the dollar. So we're sitting here saying, let's scale it to the moon because even if a fraction of them stay on with us, we're going to make a lot of money off of this. So we scaled it uh, prematurely. And what ended up happening is that people started using like uh, preloaded cards, prepaid cards, so that when we rebuild them, it wouldn't work. They started ordering 10, 20, 30 of them with different names. They're getting all these kits for free. And it really just backfired on us. And people were literally commenting in the ads saying like, just use a prepaid card. That's what I did. Put five dollars oh, on it, and then they can't get you. Ha ha ha! It started to snowball no, in the wrong choice. direction, and <laughs> it ended up getting us in trouble with PayPal, and getting us in trouble with our payment processors. It became such a nightmare, and then everybody was like, "Hey, I didn't know that we were going to get charged for this. I thought it was a total, totally free product. The messaging wasn't done correctly." And so, what we thought was our knight, our knight uh, shining armor with the try before you buy, ended up really becoming something that nearly assassinated our business. How'd you get yourself out of that, man? Like that, that puts you back pretty far. It sounds like. Well, in, in many ways, shapes and forms, we're still getting out of that. So that was like a year ago. There's still a lot of collateral damage from that in terms of merchant processing, in terms of chargeback rates, in terms of a lot and of things. We just had, we shut it off. Like as soon as we recognized what was going on, we shut it off. What, what it did, though, is it, it, we ended up sending out like 25,000 products that we only were able to charge for maybe a fraction of those. So it depleted our inventory. So we weren't able to recover very quickly from that. We lost all the money on the inventory. And we got in trouble with our payment processors. We started to get a bad feedback score on Facebook because people were kind of irritated because they didn't understand that it was a try before you buy and not a completely free product. So we had to just kind of realize, like, okay, that doesn't work for our business. We're going to focus on driving sales on the front end people have to pay for this product we can do discounts but you know they're gonna have to pay for it so we had essentially just revert back to what we were doing before that but it took about six months to, to kind of dig, dig our way out of that mess yeah wow Woo. A poor end to put you in the poorhouse oh gosh <laughs> don't try before you buy you you heard it first here <laughs> Josh, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for just opening up and being so transparent and sharing all these insights. Um, you're the you're you're the king of oral care, but also the just a monster at uh, cash flow management. So, congrats on all the success you've had. Um, tell everybody what's next, and uh, you know how how can any of the, the listeners uh, support you? Yeah, you know I am I am very very deeply invested on multiple levels on brand building on uh, my kind of life on the entrepreneurial side has become focused on brand building. I love the direct to consumer space. I love the e-commerce space. I love the SaaS space as well, but I, I just love the brand building aspect of business and what that can do over uh, sometimes a short period of time, but certainly over a long period of time. So you can find me. I'm very transparent with the business, everything that I'm doing. You can find me on Instagram at Josh snow and then anything snow related. We're on Instagram with the username snow S N O W 
And our website is trysnow.com, T-R-Y-Snow.com. That's awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it, man.